0: For energy security, economic prosperity and climate commitments, we need a rapid transition away from traditional forms of power. So says the Isle of Man's Energy and Sustainability Centre, who last week brought together experts from Denmark, the Faroes and other islands who have developed strategies to achieve 100% renewable energy as early as 2030. Relatively cheap energy and stable prices, a cleaner and protective environment – and less dependency on rogue states. Sounds too good to be true. The Faroe Islands has a population just under two-thirds of that of the Isle of Man, and yet they have a plan for 100% renewable electricity by 2030, fully funded by the island's government and people. Terry Nielsen and Helmer Marie Trondheim are from the SEV, the Faroe's National Power Company. Terrier is Head of Research and Development and Helmer Marie developed a roadmap to ensure grid stability and supply reliability in a 100% renewable electricity sector in the Faroe Islands by 2030. They explained in a very noisy conference room how difficult finding that last few percent of renewables in the mix is so difficult.
1: Because you need to balance uh, the production and the demand. Um, So renewable energy you cannot uh, control it uh, because it is there when the wind is blowing
0: or when the sun sun is shining. Um, So you need to store it and storage is expensive i suppose then uh, the in, in relation to the the project i mean what you were describing in the presentation was effectively uh, by 2030 100% renewables but there is an opportunity as well to go further than that and you you then you sort of speculated a little bit in the question-and-answer session about the prospect of hydrogen production and actually fueling the uh, the fishing vessels with uh, hydrogen. Um, tell us a little bit more about how that might be
2: achieved. Yeah, but in, in, in the current um, um, roadmap, we don't look into hydrogen as such, but if you look beyond 2030, uh, and take into account that uh, the, 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 the fishing fleet will be transformed into some green uh, fuel, uh, then demand, demand will be so high that we cannot um, uh, provide that with onshore winds. So we need to look at an alternative. And that, at that point in time, maybe a floating wind farm would be a, a potential outcome. Uh, but there are also other... Uh, just to have a cable up to some of our neighbouring countries, but we would like to provide our energy on our own for, first and foremost.
0: And, and in terms of neighbouring countries, I mean, obviously you've got Greenland and um, uh, Iceland, reasonably close. Uh, Denmark is, 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 is your uh, sort of your equivalent of, of, of our equivalent, which is the United Kingdom. Um, the the um, How much collaboration is there between the islands, if any?
2: I would say not enough, uh, but but, uh, I would say a potential cable would most likely go to Shetland or to Scotland, uh, in in my opinion, at least. No, there's definitely too little cooperation uh, between the islands.
0: There's a friend of mine who's an MP, uh, and he lives on the Isle of Barra, and he's got this wonderful map on the wall uh, with the Isle of Barra... um, in the centre of the map, and the Faroe Islands and Iceland and uh, uh, the Isle of Man island, um, all, all surrounding, and, and um, Barra is the centre of, of his particular world. Uh, do you think sometimes we, as islands uh, and people living on islands, we tend to assume that all the all the good ideas and the best decisions are going to come from the larger uh, larger neighbours or, or or countries on which we
2: depend? I think quite the opposite, I think very often it is the islanders that come up with the innovative uh, solutions, and, and that 's the case here as well so so no, I think uh, I think the islanders are actually leading are in the forefront when it comes to green energy and the transition
0: and your hopes for the future are you are you as confident as uh, Helma Marie that uh, by 2030, you will have transformed the electricity system in the Faroe Islands?
2: Uh, definitely. We've seen that from a theoretical point of view, it's, it's doable. Uh, the, the, the question is whether we take the re- right decisions in the, in the upcoming years. So, So it is definitely possible, and I certainly do believe we will do so.
0: And presumably, the, the financial sort of turmoil that the world is in, uh, for various reasons at the moment, um, plays a lot into, into, into your hands, in as much as uh, the conventional fuel sources, uh, gas and uh, well, gas in particular, but also oil, uh, their prices uh, are becoming prohibitively expensive compared with renewables
2: yeah for sure and what we say is that that uh, getting 100 percent green energy in the Faroes is is uh, is not only beneficial but two two times because you get rid of the oil uh, it's it's um, the the, um, the uh, fluctuating nature and the cost of oil but also we benefit the environment as well so it's it's for us it's really important
0: Professor Curran ceased being the Isle of Man's advisor on climate change at the end of October, but he continues to be a visiting professor at the Centre for Sustainable Development in the University of Strathclyde. He spoke passionately at the conference about the need for urgent action to protect global ecosystems so that they can continue to support and protect us in the future.
3: Yeah, I'm delighted to be here asked to uh, give a short presentation at this conference uh, and this time I've been talking more about the the nature crisis which is uh, so closely connected to the climate emergency um, we, we know that we rely on nature for so many of the the services provided free by Mother Nature uh, that underpin our lives, our livelihoods our enjoyment of, of living um, but you know, even the World Trade Organization has stated that 55% of the global GDP relies entirely on healthy ecosystems. So there's a huge connection to the economy as well, which is primarily what this conference is about, the connection between the economy and climate and, uh, in what I was saying, uh, nature as well. They're so intimately connected and so intimately connected with uh, the kind of life and future that we all want uh, around the world and, of course, here on the Isle of Man.
0: And it's not all doom and gloom, is it? I mean, uh, some of the figures that you were quoting uh, in terms of the potential Uh, for um, world economic growth by actually addressing uh, some of the issues surrounding climate change. I mean, these figures, uh, even for for someone like myself who has no real knowledge about uh, big finance and uh, world economies, uh, they they, all sounded very optimistic, which, again, perhaps is not what we might expect uh, from uh, people engaged in in promoting the the, the problems associated with uh, climate change.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's really important we recognise the risks we're running uh, on planet Earth, both with climate change, and there's reports just come out t- today and yesterday in preparation for COP27 in Egypt, which is coming up in a few days, of the severe risks we're running with climate change, and, and we must reverse back away from uh, the dangerous limits that uh, we may face on climate change and the same is true in um, nature in biodiversity there's a UN conference coming up in Canada in December exactly analogous to the climate change one in Egypt and it's proposing some very radical uh, changes to the way that we um, treat our natural world and, and that we need to respect it more for, for everything that it provides to us in terms of clean air, clean water, uh, crops and, and, and even nature and wildlife that we can go out and enjoy. Um, so yes, let's recognise the risks, but equally there is huge amount of finance available globally to tackle these problems. It was announced last year in Glasgow at COP26 uh, by Mark Carney that uh, 450 major institutions had signed up to the Glasgow financial alliance for net zero and they have something like if my memory is correct 150,000 150 trillion dollars worth of assets at their disposal so there's an enormous amount of money can shift around and very rapidly can start doing good rather than harm so there's, there's the hope for the future, that uh, money begins to move rapidly into the kind of technologies and the, 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 the kind of changes to the way we lead our lives that will solve both the climate crisis and the nature crisis at the same time. And with that amount of money shifting, we can do it very fast. And, and you also talked about the need to consider circular
0: economy to actually embrace a circular economy. Um, I mean, this is something that perhaps uh, if, I mean, the, the last 100 years has been unusual, certainly for the Isle of Man, in that uh, we've moved away from what used to be um, very much a circular economy. We, we tended to produce whatever we needed on the island, and uh, and that's how the how our economy uh, worked. Uh, but then, uh, perhaps we contributed uh, with the, the whole uh, lead mining industry. When uh, we apparently we, at one stage we produced a third of the world's lead supplies from the island, um, and and things seem not to have gone in the right direction, perhaps
3: over the last century. <coughs> I think that's true and it's a very interesting kind of cultural dimension to to what we're talking about you know it's been estimated that 90% of the uh, the decline in biodiversity globally is attributable to the extraction of raw materials from the planet and their subsequent um, uh, processing 90% of the damage to nature down to that so if we can get away from that kind of uh, traditional now, these days, traditional view of our uh, economy in that it's extract, manufacture, dispose, and we move towards the more circular model, then we're going to not only reduce our carbon emissions because it will be driven by renewable energy, but we'll also uh, start reversing the damage to biodiversity and that in turn will help counterbalance climate change as well. So these are all interconnected issues and I believe, and and you said it yourself, There is the potential here on an island to develop an economy that is based very much more, if not entirely, on the circular model. That is, products are designed, intrinsically designed from the outset, to be made of recycled materials, but to be made and manufactured and produced in a way that they can be uh, mended, and Europe is thinking about a right to repair directive so that all of us would have a right to demand that every product can be repaired rather than thrown away and we have to buy a new one so they can be repaired, they can be disassembled and upgraded to keep them up to date and modern uh, or if they get beyond that point then they can be taken apart and the individual components used in new products or... Bottom of the hierarchy, in this case, they can be recycled. Now, that needs a a very kind of collaborative approach, obviously. It needs cooperation amongst different businesses. It needs um, customers that are aligned with that kind of business model, and I think most of us would be. And again, it's ideal for an island nation to try and address that challenge to develop a much more circular economy. And, And here in what I was saying at the conference, I was particularly arguing, well, why not begin to look at the agri-food system here on the island, because I noticed just yesterday the uh, Isle of Man NFU was um, uh, posing to government that there was a need for a food resilience strategy. Well, just building on what you yourself said, if you want resilience in your agri-food system, then it needs to be more self-sustaining and almost by definition more circular. And the circular economy will drive down climate change emissions quite significantly and will hugely decrease the amount of raw materials that we extract and exploit out of planet Earth.
0: I think you mentioned that you're a physicist uh, by, by training. Um, and uh, Maybe I'm, I'm taking some very large leaps here in terms of uh, theory. Um, Were you able to travel in time um, and travel forward 100 years from now? How do you think uh, the the decades
3: that we're currently living through are going to be viewed? I'm an optimist uh, by nature, uh, as some would say, a naive, naive optimist. But I do genuinely believe that the next decade will see a transformation Worldwide, and I'm convinced it will happen very rapidly here on the Isle of Man, in the way that we lead our lives and the way we run our economies, and it will shift to that sustainable model that can last for centuries into the future. Uh, we know how to do it. We have the answers. It's the will uh, and the finance and the investment to make it happen. And I think if you stood here in a 100 years' time, you would, you would actually see... A much improved lifestyle. It would be happier, it would be more collaborative, the nature outside would be more vibrant, we would be healthier, uh, the world would be less polluted, there would be less conflict over resources. Um, I only see a better future for all of us.
0: Professor Henrik Lund is editor in chief of Elsevier's International Journal Energy, the main developer of the Advanced Energy System Analysis software energy plan, a professor in energy planning at Aalberg University and a world leading scientist ranking among the top 1% on the Thomson Reuters list of highly cited scientists. He spoke of his experiences in Denmark. And, and you began today's proceedings with an, an excellent presentation effectively um, a guide to um, small countries in terms of moving from uh, a, a fossil fuel dependent uh, s- society uh, economy to, to one which was um, uh, rely, relying wholly on, on uh, renewable energy.
4: Yes, that's right. I mean in, in, in Denmark for quite some years now, uh, a very united Parliament uh, have had this uh, target of going for first uh, fossil free uh, energy solution. Uh, 100% renewable energy, and now they are are wording it like uh, climate neutral uh, uh, 2050 uh, Denmark. And of course, uh, these uh, political goals, it's very important people like myself and the industry and everybody follow up on then how to do it. So that's what we have been engaged with and what I basically told this morning was uh, a strategy that uh, my research group from Auburn University together with the Danish Association of Engineers uh, put forward in 2006 and also... uh, uh, have been uh, updating. And in this plan we, uh, we are very specific on what kind of technologies should we have, how should we do it, how would those technologies work together in order for Denmark to be uh, climate neutral. Uh, and we even say before 2050, we say we could do it already 2045. Maybe next time we'll say 2040, because it's really urgent that we do it uh, as soon as possible.
0: And uh, I mean, Denmark is a field leader, uh, I think, uh, as a country. Um, is, is it uh, is is setting a target that's so far distant? Um, to a certain extent, is that part of the problem? I mean, we, we've heard from the Faroe Islands that uh, you know it, that they've effectively set the, their target of one hundred percent renewable by twenty thirty. That's a, that seems a very narrow target, and yet. There's the, the, you have impetus then to actually deliver that change, whereas if people think that you know, the, the target is 2050, uh, there's no real urgency at the moment uh, to actually make that difference.
4: No, that's you're absolutely right. This is very, very important. I mean, setting a long-term target, everybody can do that, and then, and then they are dead and gone before <laughs> before anyone notices. So, of course, it's very important when you do that that you actually also have a strategy, and you also start implementing that strategy today uh, and not tomorrow and not in five years and so on. But the, the, that's also part of the Danish uh, Parliament to do that. Uh, So just to mention, up till now we have built so many wind turbines that uh, uh, more than uh, 50% of the Danish electricity is coming from, from wind turbines already. As I mentioned uh, also earlier today, we have expanded district heating to half of our buildings. So half of our buildings have not experienced the the raising uh, prices from gas and, and, and electricity as as in many other countries, simply because we recycle waste heat from industry and from power production and so on and, and heat our houses uh, with it. And also uh, a recent development is that we have been expanding our production of green gas, uh, biogas from manure and biomass in Denmark to a degree. So actually right now 30% of our natural gas is coming from green gas and is green gas and not uh, natural gas fossil fuels. And. How has
0: Denmark overcome the the resistance that exists? I mean, certainly exists in, in the Isle of Man, and may may well exist have existed in Denmark. Uh, how how do you overcome that uh, fear, or, or the perhaps even the, uh, the, the the fossil fuel lobby, which which very clearly doesn't want the change to happen? Uh, how did Denmark approach that?
4: Well, uh, it's, uh, uh, first of all, I mean, if we take the wind turbines, it was actually the people who wanted the wind turbines uh, themselves in the 70s and 80s after the, uh, the oil crisis. Uh, and, um, and so it was uh, uh, all this not in my backyard was not really an issue uh, in the beginning. Then later on we uh, we learned in Denmark that uh, if you have your own wind turbine in your backyard or in, in your neighborhood, then it's very beautiful and if you make money on it, then it's even more beautiful. But if somebody else, like a big uh, power company or something, or a government, come and place a lot of wind turbines in your backyard and the only thing you have to do is look at them and be ignored and hear the noise and you're not making any money and it was not your idea then uh, they are really a burden so and and i think uh, we have been good at doing this in the early days we are not so good at doing it any longer we should learn from ourselves and our own history uh, in, in 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 that respect but uh, apart from that i i think uh, this is the way to go that that people can own the, it themselves and people can also initiate it and get the idea and bring it about
0: Because again, this this seems to be part of the the solution that's being offered is that you need to scale up, you need big projects Mm -hmm. because uh, there are people out there who are willing to invest uh, trillions of of pounds, dollars, Mm -hmm. uh, krona, whatever the currency may be, euros, of course. um, um, But actually, uh, people are more likely, uh, communities are more likely Mm -hmm. to buy into small-scale projects.
4: Yes, but I think uh, we maybe need both. I mean, if we should have a wind turbine in my neighborhood, I live in a small village in, in the northern parts of Denmark, I would like to be a part of it and my neighbors. So, And we already did that some, some years ago, now it's uh, it's not any longer. But that that is one way of going. But I also think we need a lot of wind turbines uh, uh, o- offshore, for example. Uh, And in Denmark, uh, the Danish power company Ørsted had just uh, announced together with another big company or developing uh, company called Copenhagen Infrastructures that they are going to build without any subsidies or anything like that, they are going to build 5 gigawatt, 5,000 megawatt of wind turbines. Uh, This is so many wind turbines that they can produce as much electricity as a single point if that will ever uh, be, be finalized uh, and uh, and they are doing this without subsidies and they will be ready to produce already from 2027 20, onwards so I think that's, that's impressive and we also need that, we need both.
0: One of the things that I found very encouraging about today is the optimism so I'm guessing I know how you're going to answer this question. Uh, how, how optimistic are you that uh, globally we are going to meet the, the necessary targets to keep uh, climate change um, to, to the, the minimum necessary for us to continue to have uh, the, the lives that we, we uh, e- expect at the moment?
4: There are a lot of reasons to be pessimistic. There are a lot of reasons. And you can list them all and, and then you can uh, be paralyzed and do nothing. Uh, um, Likewise, I was born an optimist and I can't help it. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I am an optimist and I really enjoy life and I have got an electric car and it's the most wonderful car I ever got and it's fueled by wind and, and so on and so forth. I got district heating and everything is, is, is working. I'm promoting this and, and I'm simply an optimist. And, and of course we can do this if we, uh, if we are, are willing to do it. And of course, one
0: of the messages, the clear messages for many of the speakers today is not only is it a a, a better way to to do things in in relation to climate change, but it can be cheaper as well.
4: Very much so. Uh, I just mentioned, for example, I learned that here on uh, Isle of Man, you have a waste incineration plant, but the, the heat from the waste incineration plant is just wasted. Uh, we have a lot of waste incineration plants in Denmark but we uh, build a pipe so that the uh, hot water from the incineration plant can go out to some buildings and, and eat them. And it's the some of the cheapest heat we have and people fight to get uh, more uh, incineration plant into the district heating system. We are even uh, importing waste uh, in order to have waste enough to to burn so we can heat our houses cheap also I live in albo uh, where there 's a cement f- factory that actually heats twenty uh, percent of of our district heating so there 's a lot of things that that is uh, cheaper and right now, as I mentioned before, uh, all those district heating consumers in in Denmark, they have no increase in the energy bill, uh, while all the gas uh, uh, people have. So everybody wishes to go to a district heating now. So, so uh, it's only a matter of if we can do it fast enough. Founding
0: directors of the Isle of Man's Energy and Sustainability Centre, Ralph Peak and Dave Quirk, have delivered a lot in the relatively short time since the centre was established. Javon Fletcher asked them why they felt the centre was necessary and whether the conference achieved its ambition.
5: Well, what the Engine Sustainability Centre is, is doing is trying to bring together the public and pi- private sector. Um, public sector have done some great work got some legislation in place now so the frameworks there but the private sector really do want to see some action they want to see us moving forward they ne- we need to demonstrate to ourselves and the rest of the world that we're serious about this and so we do want to see some action so so we see our role as actually bringing those parties together we want to bring some experts to the conversation, we want the public to join in that conversation, to listen and to learn alongside those experts, because ultimately we needed a solution for the Isle of Man. And so we are all got Manx connections and we really do want to get something that works for the Isle of Man that will give us sustainable energy at an affordable price.
1: This kind of feels like the private sector having to step in really from lack of meaningful action from the Isle of Man government in a way. So shouldn't the government be doing more, do you think?
5: I, I I see it as working alongside. To be honest, I think the government, as I say, has set out the the framework, for the legislation, and it's now really where the private sector can bring those the expert knowledge in and actually get a roadmap of what the Isle of Man needs. So I I see it more as a partnership. To be honest, and and the government the government's got an awful lot of work to do in the future. You know, there'll be more legislation. You know, there'll be re- managing the public's expectations. Government will. Play a key role in this solution, but we also do need the private sector. Professor James Curran summed it up in his impact reports you know three years ago you know we you can 't do this alone; the private sector must work with the public sector.
1: Do you think that that message has kind of gotten through a bit? That cooperation? I mean, at the conference last week, it was opened by Minister James Paul Wilson. You had a lot of ministers present, you know, I saw them all there. You, do you think that message is getting through that we need a bit of cooperation between that, like public and private sectors?
5: I do. I, I do think it's uh, getting through, and I, I'm very grateful for the time. Um, that Mrs Wilson gave. She she stayed the whole day, listened to every speaker and, and gave a great summing up at the, the end. So we know that government are listening and we know that they do want to do something. I think we saw a turning point in, in COP26 last year where we saw the the international financial houses come together and realise that they've got a part to play in this. They need to take some responsibility. And we really did see a change then. And I think that's now here on the Isle of Man. I think the conference really has enabled senior government um, politicians to really understand that we had some senior officers in the room as well alongside the MUA so the right people were there and they heard directly from experts who are on the similar journey to us but people from the Faroe Islands are actually two years down that that road which is absolutely great to hear that first hand
1: And um, Dave, bringing you in a bit here, you provided the conference with a summary of the best options for sustainable power in the Isle of Man. So what are they?
6: Yes, well, we've been working on this for a few years now, but similar to the Faroe Islands, what works well in the Isle of Man, of course, are are invaluable fuel is wind. Uh, So so, uh, wind turbines will be part of the solution. Uh, Solar as well. There are sunny places on the Isle of Man. So that combination works quite well. In addition, you'll need... Uh, we'll need energy storage um, because as you know the wind doesn't blow necessarily when we need the power and so to store surplus power and then u- be able to reuse it is is the energy storage part. Well I live in Denmark uh, who were at the forefront who have been at the forefront of the energy transition of course it's thanks to Denmark we have actually a wind industry at all it's, uh they started investing in the early 80s actually related to an oil crisis so so that often cause, motivates people and uh, that investment, early investment, has meant now wind, uh, wind is really the cheapest form of energy by a long way. It's probably four, uh, four times cheaper at the moment than, than oil or gas. Um, so that gives us uh, room for uh, additional investments as well and, and provides revenue for the Isle of Man to, for instance, to, to improve the infrastructure.
1: And um, Professor Henrik Lund came over from Denmark as well to the conference last week, and I was chatting to him about district heating, which I'd never heard of, mm-hmm. and he was saying that's something we maybe could have or should invest in the future here. Think that's something we actually reasonably could do.
6: It's probably a medium-term investment. But what it is, is essentially warm water. You, you see um, films of New York and you see steam rising. That's district heating. And so what, what you use is either waste heat, which could come from, for instance, the energy from waste, Richmond Hill. Or you can um, have community scale heat pumps, for instance, that would produce warm water. And then you distribute it to homes. The advantage of it is it's at scale. So it's cheaper than, than everybody individually having heat pumps. Uh, and it means it's trouble-free. You don't have to worry. Uh, so I live in a in Copenhagen. I live in an 18th century house, which uh, because it's a listed building can't have double glazing. It's it's theoretically not not very in, in energy efficient, but the war, we we get warm water and and that house is warm and dry the entire year, and it's cheap and uh, trouble-free.
1: I mean, I definitely think that's something that we would <laughs> we would all love to have here, especially you know cost of living crisis as well yeah. now that everyone's contending with um so here for the Aman you mentioned wind power that's something that's always in the conversation here why is tidal and wave power not in the mix and you know nuclear power and geothermal power surely yeah. they could be considered too they're,
6: they're all interesting we've we've considered we think we've considered all options um the the pr- you could say the problem with tidal energy and wave energy is that it's it's expensive. What didn't happen in the 80s was investment in wave and tidal. So it's well um, far behind wind and solar. So if you want to buy something relatively cheap off the shelf, then it's wind and solar. However, Faroes is investing in tidal, as is also uh, the Orkney Islands. Um, but it's just at the moment four or five times more expensive. It's It's the same price as oil and gas, actually. Um, so if you're going to cheap, choose the cheapest option then it's it's always going to be wind and solar at the moment. As regards geothermal what you need is heat in the subsurface it needs to get fairly warm fairly quickly when you drill a borehole which it doesn't in the Isle of Man the Isle of Man is relatively cold um, and uh, the other thing you need is water uh, because you bring warm water up and there isn't um, aquifers or deep water reservoirs in the Isle of Man so the two the two elements you need are not here so it's geologically it's not suitable for geothermal and nuclear is an interesting one but uh, none of the world's uh, nuclear waste uh, is in permanent storage so that's we've got an inheritance there um of course uh, uh, the power plants have to be decommissioned at some stage which is an, a, a real expense uh, that's true in Japan and France at the moment um and it's it's a really expensive um technology to build in the first place and takes 15 20 years so really if we'd thought about it properly maybe um many years ago we would have had that we would have done it properly but because the investment didn't happen and because we haven't dealt with the waste it's not really uh, an economic option or an environmental option at the moment anyway
1: we've got arguably a rich reserve of gas in our eastern shore you know, plain devil's advocate here in a way. Shouldn't we be exploiting that before going after more some of more, these more renewables?
6: Well, the reality is a very small chance there's actually a gas resource offshore Isle of Man. So if you make, what I as a geophysicist have done in the past is you make maps of the subsurface. Now you can make a map of the land surface here in the Isle of Man. And it's got hills and valleys, so Snaefell is the highest you can make similar maps of the subsurface, it's hills and valleys. The data you use is, is it's like looking through a really blurred glass, it's sort of cracked, it's hard to see what you're doing, but you make an interpretation of what you're seeing. Um, and you map, again, you try to map hills and valleys. Where the well, it's called 1112251, was drilled, is in a valley. Now, that's not where gas collects. What normally happens in the subsurface is oil uh, oil or gas rises to the highest points, which would be the hills. So you're looking for a subsurface fell, which is the Bay gas field, for example. Uh, that was not the case where this well was drilled. So it's the last place you'd expect to find gas. There was a hint of gas, but down at that depth there often is gas because um, there's there's coal down there, for instance. So I think the chance of there being a, a large reserve of gas is very small, and the other issue is they could BP, who drilled the well, couldn't get the, any gas to flow to surface. So you need to be able to produce it to be able to use it, and so uh, the chances if you drilled another well, you would have the same situation. You even if there was gas there, it wouldn't flow to surface. So so really, it's it's a a very very long shot, most unlikely, mo- even. Uh, very good prospects for oil and gas only one in five of them get developed uh, become commercial discoveries if you drill an exploration well it's a four in five chance you're not going to find
5: something
1: so actually our um, you know wealth of uh, rich reserve of gas that we all think we've got around the island might actually just be a big myth it, I it's,
5: think it's been exaggerated it's,
6: it's a very very small chance of finding something that would be and of course it still takes eight years at least to develop it so it's too late then anyway because by then the
5: gas turbines will be out of service.
6: And it's not going to address the current issue, whereas, uh, you know, you, we could develop wind and solar in a few years onshore.
1: So then do you think that renewables can deliver that cost-effective and reliable energy for the Isle of Man then if we get working on it now?
6: Absolutely. Um provided the the legislation the permitting is is relatively streamlined that uh so so there is a sort of onus on government to make sure that that can go through fairly quickly uh then um yes we we can uh, produce a surplus of wind and solar power um the one thing is making sure that you can have the power when uh demand requires it so so there is a, an element of storage there so that um when Everybody turns on their television and and uh,
5: that there's power available,
1: just to put it to you both quite bluntly really shouldn 't we have done all of this years ago?
5: Yes, you could say that, um but you 've got to start from where you are. Um, I think where we are now it 's easy for people to see the benefits of renewable energy. I think um with the recent price increases in fossil fuels, people can are really now paying attention to that because it is going to affect the the their costs um, but I think it's also the right time to do it now, there's more people in the world really starting to understand the damage that's been done and this is a solution this is a solution that will give us that affordable power, enable us to, to live uh, comfortably and, and warm and um, and not harm the environment so now is the time, yes we could have done it before but this is where we are so I really hope that you know what we're trying to do will we'll try and give people that that roadmap, that clear direction, that it is the right course to go down. In hindsight,
6: it would have been better to invest, but at the same time, now is very opportune because wind and solar is about as cheap as you could, as it will get, certainly for the next couple of years. And of course, business is now requiring green electricity, green power, and and so that would be if we if we do it now. It will also be if we've got a, a roadmap that uh, you know, within a few years we're going to have our own green power. That's going to attract
5: new business here as well so I, th- I think it's a perfect perfect opportunity now. Yeah, I don't think we've got the option of actually just sitting back and, and seeing what happens because if you do that we know that some of these international companies will have to leave the island so it's not an option to do nothing standing there doing nothing we will actually see an erosion of our international uh, finance and, and company base and we don't want that, we want to try and attract government it does spend money on trying to attract new business here, but really the urgent and important thing now is to actually keep the businesses we've got and to do that we need to not only have a policy in legislation which we've got, but we need to have clear direction and intent on the government side as well as the private sector side that we do want to embrace this renewable energy and we do want to have a green sustainable affordable future
1: so this isn't just that we need um, we need this for our future really in terms of the climate crisis also it's a business and finance Mm -hmm. element as well and that's I think something we don't really touch on that much we talk about climate change and is it real isn't it not and that's the big debate but actually if we want to keep our island going financially and business-wise this is important to invest in, then, in your opinion?
6: Yeah, and the energy transition has also been called the green new deal because it will require a lot of investment. Of course, that's pr- going to be private sector investment, but it does pro- provide new jobs, significant uh, number of new jobs. Um, it's no longer deep water oil and gas that's going to th- it, it, now. It's it's on our doorstep. We have the fuel here, so so that means also uh,
5: revenue because we can export surplus.
1: Did do you think the conference ultimately achieved its objectives?
5: Yes, I do. Uh, what we set out to do was to bring some experts to the Isle of Man, you know, in an environment that, that people wanted to be there, wanted to learn, wanted to, to listen. And and we gathered some experts who not, have been working in this field for a number of years, but also another small group of islands that are already started on this path this path where they're going to deliver 100 percent electricity for the Faroe Islands by 2030 so they're already two years down that path they've already got some installations in place on land and they've got some battery storage and they're going to look for some more hydro storage and they're going to have some solar panels so it was great to hear firsthand how we can actually achieve that here on the Alaman as well.
1: And how was the conference funded. Was any government money involved? Was it all the ESC? How did it work out?
5: Yeah, no, there was no government uh, funding. It, this was completely independent um, and, and the Energy and Sustainability Centre put that on. We have got uh, some uh, financial partners, which we're very grateful for. Uh, KPMG, Peel and Zurich have, have really helped us uh, initially at the start. Um, and we also had Dathal Garage. They actually they provided a, a electric car, a Nissan Leaf, which Dave took the vistas from um, Denmark and the Faroe Islands around the island to show them the Isle of Man so it was great to actually have that They were so impressed with the Isle of Man
6: Uh, you know, despite, you know it was variable weather but they thought it was great Um, and you know, uh, they're just saying we can't believe there's no wind turbines Mm. here there's really, really no renewables, so so it's ready to go. I think is yeah, they 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 can see the real opportunities here.
1: I assume they were like nice and safe and dry in that car though, rather than bombing round on a motorbike in the rain. You know, <laughs> it's probably a different view. I mean, we love it here, but maybe being in a, in a dry electric yeah, car yeah. would be helping there. Um, so then, what's next for the ESC then going forward?
6: well we have um mid november so 15th to the 18th of november we have some courses and we uh, we have two workshops the idea of the courses is really it's about climate change because uh, you know it's good that everybody's on the same page on on that one and the second one on the friday the 18th is on the energy transition itself uh but the, the the on wednesday we have first of all highlights of the conference in the morning um the sixteenth, and then uh, in the afternoon, uh, we're going to have a workshop where we we're going to try and, and and see what we all agree on, and and start a roadmap to to see. Okay, well, this will work for the Isle of Man, this won't, and and come up with the recommendations. Then, for instance, on on things like um, legislation.
5: And we must thank the Max Lottery Trust for enabling those courses to be available to the public, but also free of charge to the public. So we'll be able to get your tickets on Eventbrite. It's not
6: quite free of charge, but the only only cost is actually refreshments. So it's it's a very low cost, yeah.
1: We're, you know, ahead of COP27. It's the the buzzword on everyone's lips right now to do with um, environmental issues. There's, you know, the latest reports out are quite bleak, really, on the global failure to cut greenhouse gas emissions ahead of COP27. So do you think... Is all of this going to be a bit too little, too late, or do you think we can get it back and, you know, fight the climate crisis properly?
5: I think it can definitely be um, attained. We we can meet those targets, but it is it'll it'll take a will and a want to do it, and that's what we're trying to do. We're we're not trying to criticise um, parties. We're actually trying to give them a roadmap and an opportunity to deliver it. But it will take effort, and it will take a real desire to do that but we think it's worth it. We love this island and we think it's worth doing that to to catch up for the years that, uh, if you like, we haven't started.
6: And, you know, just thinking of the Isle of Man as 28 years till 2050 when we'll have net uh, net zero emissions, we have all the tools to do that actually much quicker than that. But if you think from 1903 to 1931, when Wright Brothers first started flying, and 1931, there were passenger planes flying to, to across to New York. Um, so, so you can achieve an awful lot in in a few years. Um, so, uh, w- but the difference this time is we ha- it's it's uh, it's economic. It's going to make a a, a real, um, you know, it's go- it's going to be the new future for the Isle of Man.
1: And we need all that government investment and. Private sector investment as well to make this
5: happen. Well, I, I would say we actually need the private sector investment, and we need the government will and yeah, uh, want a, to do it. They'll enable it, yeah, facilitate it, yeah. So it's not the taxpayer necessarily. The government needs to, to really get behind this and and try and make it as easy as possible um, for legislation for um, for infrastructure to be built. But it really is the the private sector that's going to need the investment in this. It's yeah. really bigger, too big for the government. really.
6: Around the world, there's energy companies that do that provide yeah. energy. That's that's it. It's just uh, you know the the government sets the framework and and makes sure it's it's a relatively efficient process to to, to um, so that um, energy can be produced at profit. I guess.
5: Yeah, and that's a good point actually because you've got first hand experience of the sort of model. That not only benefits um, the oil and gas companies, if you like, or the energy companies, but also it does yeah. benefit the, the governments, doesn't it? The biggest benefit is to the nation. That's always
6: the case. But financial of course, benefit. Fi- financial benefit and all all forms of benefit. But um, the financial benefit. But you know, companies um, by their nature also need to make profit, um, and and so that that's a, a, a good partnership between government and and in industry.
3: So, what
5: does that look like? Just explain. What does that sort of consortium look like? So, there are
6: various ways of doing it, but um, you know, in the historically in the oil and gas industry, the government would have a share in the development. Um, so, and that share, let's say it was twenty percent or ten percent, um, the investment companies will pay the government share, um, and so it's risk free financially. But what uh, that also means is uh, if, if it's particularly profitable the nation benefits from that as well not just getting the energy but will also have a, a, a revenue from that as well so the investment in in uh, energy resources uh, all the benefit ends up eventually to the nation and, and you know it does mean cheaper it means cheaper electricity for for local people um, and uh, revenue if we we export some of it
1: so what I'm hearing here is if I, you know, suddenly wake up tomorrow and want to leave journalism what I need to do is get into, uh, you know, the greener energy, that's the business I need to set up really and put all my investment in.
5: I would say that's a sure bet. Yes. Mm. Yep. Yeah. The the
6: world needs power. Uh, it we're, we're moving away from fossil fuels. Uh so um so so and we have a remarkable resource here in in wind, sun and uh, water plus elevation, that's all we need. And so, so that's uh, you know, that's our future really.
1: So we were joking there about me leaving journalism and starting a career in green energy. But is that something that feasibly people could do?
6: Well, um, in Denmark, for instance, there's an island called Samsø, and uh, all the uh, wind and solar, and actually some biomass projects are all funded by local people. It's a community investment. And they have very, very small percentages in, uh, or you know, an individual person has a small percentage in, say, a wind turbine. And so not only are they getting relatively cheap electricity, they're also profiting from uh, anything that's sold. Uh, The same is true in the Orkneys. Uh, So definitely there is an opportunity, if done properly, for for local people to invest in their own energy as well. So uh, they feel proud of that.
1: So when we have these uh, really windy days we have here on the island, you'd be thinking, oh, a little bit of money then in my pocket.
6: (laughs) Yes. And of course, it's lowering your electricity bills as well. Uh, To be honest, what you normally do is have a fixed price. And that, again, that predictability is nice. So you can say, okay, I know I'm going to be paying this now for the next 25 years. That's that's remarkable.
1: Mm, I think that's something we could all do with right now. Some reliable energy prices.
0: The Energy and Sustainability Centre is building models and options to move the Isle of Man from its current dependency on fossil fuels to future self-sufficiency in low carbon power. This will most likely include wind and solar schemes, energy storage and changes to our electricity transmission grid. Possibilities such as green hydrogen for transport and district heating systems are also being evaluated. So are you keen to embrace this brave new world or are you happy with the status quo? Should government be funding this or is it better left for the private sector to deliver? I hope you enjoyed the programme which is available as a podcast from Manx Radio's website. My particular thanks to Siobhan Fletcher for stepping in with the last interview while I was unwell. Please get in touch with Phil Gorn at manxradio.com and let me know your thoughts and views on this programme and let me know what you would like me to talk about in future shows. But for now, I'm Phil Gorn. Thanks for listening.